Luke chapter 19, we need to hasten this morning. Got a lot of, th- a lot of ground to cover. What a wonderful truth God has given us in the Word uh, this morning. Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem. He has spent most of his ministry. Now he's in the last few weeks of his ministry on the earth. In the end of this chapter, you'll find that he it goes out and sends his disciples to go get the little donkey that he will ride on and through the streets of, of the city one week before his death. So it's at the end of his ministry when we see this passage of Scripture here and, and uh, what God is doing here. In chapter 18... A wealthy man went to Jesus, I want to go to heaven. What do I have to do? He said, well, have you kept the commandments? All of them since I was a kid. He said, well, you probably got a problem. And your problem is you have, you have, uh, you, you have a focus on finances. You're materialistic. Go sell what you have, give to the poor, follow me. And the guy went away very sorrowful. And when he went away sorrowful, Jesus said, it's very difficult For a religious man who stuck away from God, but especially for a rich man who is focused on riches to come to know the Lord as his Savior. And he begins to tell the story. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. But with God, all things are possible. And uh, there's been some speculation on that, but I had the chance to go to Israel and I did see a large gate it's, a, it's the city gates, and they, they open it up to a marketplace, and it's, it's one of those like a garage door, but it opens up like that. And during the daytime, they put people in. Uh, they open it up, and everybody can come in and out. But as the nighttime closed, they close it, and then there is just a little opening, like a small door at the bottom in there, and people who want to come in and out have to go in that little opening. And they would call that the eye of a needle. We call that the eye of a needle. And if someone wanted to bring a camel in there, that would be a challenge. Unless the camel got low and took off whatever was on his back. He had to take, get rid of all the stuff that he was carrying, and he would have to get very low and sometimes scoot on their knees to get through the eye of the needle. And I think that's probably an, an application here that Jesus made. For a person who is all concerned about how much they've accumulated in their bank account, they always think about their money. To come to Jesus, they'll have to sometimes humble themselves and separate themselves from the God of this world and money to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I think that's an example of that. However, as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, he comes through the town of, of Jericho. It's about 18 miles north of Israel. I'm sorry, of Jerusalem in Israel, and not too far from the River Jordan. It was a place where there was a lot of palm trees, and it was kind of like a resort area. It would be, a, it would be somewhat like a, maybe Orlando today or Palm Springs. Uh, it was a place where people would go, and wealthy people were there, and, and uh, people would enjoy a little vacation away from the big city of, of Jerusalem to go to Jericho. Uh, it was a partly a Gentile city and a Jewish city. Mostly Jewish people lived there. But um, we find the story of Zacchaeus in this, in this particular thing. Let me just read through it and we'll make a couple points. My purpose today is not to give a lot of story about Zacchaeus. I want to talk about the, uh, the, the Lord and the pounds that he gave out before he left. Let's look, if we can, please, verse number 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was what? Rich. Here, God's going to save a rich man. 
And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he is little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up in the sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and said unto Zacchaeus, Make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him how? Joyfully. And when they saw it, the other people saw it, they all murmured that he was gone to be a guest of a man that is a sinner. Everybody knew Zacchaeus was a wicked guy. He was in charge of all the wicked guys. He was a publican, and publican was a man who was a Jewish man who would collect taxes from the Jews for the Roman government, and they were very well known to be um, dishonest in the way they did that. They would collect more than they were required to, than when they were allowed to protect, but they had the Roman soldiers with them, and so the Roman soldiers, uh, they were the enforcers. If they said they owed this much money, they could say, no, I, I don't owe 100, I owe 80. No, you owe 100, don't they? Yes. And they used the power of Rome to make them extort more money. That was very common. And so people didn't like them. They hated them because they not only took money that was rightfully their taxation, which was already high, they took extra money from the common work. And you could see their wealth begin to grow once they became a publican, kind of like once they become a politician. I'm uh, just joking about that. I don't know if that's true or not. But all of a sudden, now they're very successful business people. They saw them begin to acquire houses and more horses and more chariots. And it seems like they just... And, and people knew they were getting wealth off the extortion they were giving them, and it really bothered them. And so uh, Jer- Jesus is coming to Jericho. He sees... Uh, and, and Zacchaeus is a, there's four things we know about him. First of all, he's rich. Number two, he's, he's, uh, he's short. And uh, he's smaller. And I have a short friend, he says, now low children are the heritage of the Lord, not the tall children, the low children are heritage. I just tell him the wicked shall be cut off. That's what I tell him now. But, you know, he, he was a short man. He was a wealthy man. And he was a despised man. He knew that he wasn't going to be able to get in a good, a good view of Jesus because he was small and people, he didn't have his Roman soldier with him. No one's going to mess with him. They're going to push him away. And then he was empty, though. He had curiosity to know, you know what? I don't know this Messiah. I've heard about him. I probably need him. He was miserable, empty on the inside, just like I was before I came to know the Lord. I can still be miserable after I'm saved, but I was really miserable before I got saved. He was empty. So what he did, he ran, ran away. He saw the, the, the route that Jesus was taking. He ran ahead. He jumped up in a tree. Maybe he dangled his little legs off the, off the side of a branch there and just watching them. Or maybe he hung on to the, to, the, to the trunk of the tree and just stood there on a branch high enough so he could see. And what surprised him is Jesus stopped when he came to the tree. And the Bible says there's four things he did. He looked up at him. And when the leader looks up at people, guess who else looks at them? Everybody else. And Zacchaeus had probably four thoughts that day. Number one, oh boy, he sees me. And God sees you and sees me. Number two, he called him by name. Have you ever had someone call you by name that you didn't know they knew you? And you're like, hey, what's going on? How do you know me? Have we ever met before? And they don't, they don't know, well, gee, here he is, Zacchaeus. He calls him, he says, oh, not only does he see me, and God sees you, he knew him. 
and God knows you. There's not, a, there's not a single thought you've ever think that God doesn't know. He knows your most difficult day. He knows your days of triumph. He knows your trip-ups, your failures. He knows your successes. There's nothing that happens in your life that God does not know. And he knew Zacchaeus, knew his name, knew how many hairs on his head. He knew everything about him. And then he said, come down. I want to go to your house. He said, me? You want to go to my house? You want me? Of all the people here in Jericho, you want me? He knew himself. He knew he was in trouble. He knew he had problems. He knew he was despised in the community. He probably despised his own heart. His conscience had been dealing with him. He said, man, you not only see me and you know me, but you want me? And then he found out when he went to his house that Jesus loved him. And if you're here today and you're not sure if you were to die, you go to heaven, you need to know those four things too. That God sees you and he knows you, he wants you, and he loves you. But whenever he walked into Zacchaeus' house, the other religious group that was finding a way to criticize Jesus began to make fun and say, what? You can't be the real Messiah. If you're going to go into that house with that jerk, with that sinful guy who's not only a sinner, he's the chief of all the sinners, you can't be the real Savior. To which Jesus responded with these words. Let's look real quickly if we can, please. I think it's very appropriate that we're in Luke chapter 19 on the last Sunday of September. We're talking about sharing Christ. Let's look at it if we can, please. In verse number 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, a half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restore him four times, fourfold. Verse number 9, read it with me, would you please? And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to thy house, for as much as he also is the son of he said, this guy has now become a true believer, not because he did all those things, but because of the conversion in his heart caused him to do those things. You don't get saved by works. You get saved by faith. But if you've got faith, that, faith in Jesus Christ, it will work. And his, his outcome was he believed that only Jesus could save him, and then it made a difference in his life. Someone said a faith that does not change a man's life normally doesn't save a man's soul. I'm not saying you have to be changed, and it's not my job to judge if you're saved or your job to my saved. That's only God knows that. But boy, if you're saved, live like it. If you're truly saved, let your faith work. And boy, Zacchaeus, he, he followed through on that. And of course, Jesus is being criticized, but look what he says in verse number 10. Would you read it with me, everyone? For the Son of Man is come. Boy, he said, you know, this is why I came. I didn't come to... To just pat people on the head that are good people, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I am so glad that God loves everybody. And God loves people more than anything, and he loves you. And everyone who goes to hell goes to hell unsaved. No one goes to hell unloved. God so loved the world. You're in the world. He loves you. And he loves Zacchaeus. When no one else loved him, he couldn't find a reason to love himself. Christ loved him. And he said, I came to this earth not to work with wood in a carpenter shop. I came to give my life a ransom for many. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And friend, that's why you're still on the planet if you're already saved, is to see who God would bring you into a relationship with that you could share the gospel. We had a great day yesterday. So many of our folks went out and so many got saved. Tonight in the service, we're going to review some of the testimonies. I can't wait. 
I've heard some of them already, and they just thrill my heart. But on every day, I ought to be on soul patrol. Every day, I ought to be looking for someone that God is looking for and saying, God, give me someone to witness to today. Because the Lord Jesus, if I'm going to be like him, he came to seek. He's looking for Zacchaeuses. Are you looking for Zacchaeuses? Are you looking for people across your path? Are you walking slowly in the crowd and realizing that guy, that salesman, not just there to make a buck off you, he probably needs the Lord. That waitress that serves you, it's, it's about Jesus. It's not about the speed of the service. It's about Jesus. The person you walk by in your, your business, everybody, you can't take the gospel to the wrong address. Everybody needs to hear about Jesus, and Jesus gives us an illustration here. I'm seeking I want to save people that are lost. And what a great testimony. Well, Jesus now transitions to the story that Brother James helped us read this morning. Let's look at verse 11. Can we please? Verse 11, the Bible says this. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. This is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Would you say what a parable is? It's an earthly story with a... He's trying to teach a spiritual truth, but he's using a common story here. Because it was nigh Jerusalem, he was getting near Jerusalem, they're making the way. It could have been in Zacchaeus' house, or it could have been as they walked by the way. And uh, they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. The disciples and the people following Jesus from Jericho to Jerusalem were hoping he was going to go right to the palace and say, I'm the new king of the Jews. I'm the new leader. We're moving away from Rome, and we got our own thing going. That's what they wanted. They were tired of the Roman oppression. They wanted to be independent, and they didn't want Jesus as their eternal God. They want him as their temporary Savior. They wanted to take him away from the problems they had and free them as a country. Even the disciples seemed to be really confused as he told them in the previous chapter, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to die. And they're going to reject me, and they're going to revile me. They're going to mock me, and they're going to kill me. But three days later, I'm going to rise again. They're like, no, 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 no. No, no, you, you need to stick around long enough so we can get all this thing straightened out in our government, and we can get all this stuff. By the way, sometimes as Christians, we get so caught up in the government and the politics of things. And I'm not opposed. We don't have to participate as a citizen. But we need to stay on soul patrol and what matters most. And nothing happened in the White House, however corrupt or, or wicked it may be, keeps me from going across to someone else's house and talking to them about the Lord. And, and it can keep me, it, nothing there keeps me from having revival in my house and in my heart. But they, they were like, you know, okay, we're going to go. And he gave them the story because they thought everything was going to happen now with him. And a, a week later, he will be crucified. So on the way down to Jerusalem, he gives them this story. Let's look at the story. And we're looking at verse number 12 now. Are you looking there in your Bible? This is a Bible-believing church. I want to encourage you to get a Bible out. Follow along with us. Don't be a lazy uh, servant of Christ. Stay with us here and maybe even mark up some things or give some things that could help for you as we go through this. Here's his story. He said, therefore, as a certain nobleman or a, a, a leader, a world leader or a... Um, a very respectable person that was a leader of some sort, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. 
And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy, or stay busy, trade this, work with this until I come. And his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to rule over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded those servants, he called to them to whom he had given money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. So this is the story. The Bible tells us that Jesus is making up the story. Now, the people there, the Herod's son, Archelaus, he had kind of done this. He had gone from Jerusalem to Rome to get uh, empowered to be a leader in his area, and he was going to go and come back. But the people hated him, like they hated Herod or Pilate. They, the Jews didn't like him. But they were very familiar with the story. But it's not about Archelaus. It's about Jesus. And he said, there was a nobleman who, who um, went to go and get empowered to be a king, to get his kingdom done. And before he left, he got those that were his own servants, 10 of them, and he gave each of them a pound. That's money. That's silver. It's a certain amount of ounces of silver normally. And he gave each of them that. Now, this is not to be compared to the other story in Matthew chapter 25. I mean, you can compare it, but it's different. Because in the other story, Matthew 25, he gave one servant five, and he gave another servant two, and he gave another servant one. This is a different story. It's a different application. Um, he gave, he's not necessarily talking about the amount of gifts that someone has, but he's talking he gave every, all ten of his servants the same amount. And he was going to go away to be empowered, and he's going to come back to his kingdom. And uh, he said, but the people, the servants, they had responsibility, but the people didn't accept him. They rejected them. They said, we're not going to have this man to rule over us. Does it sound familiar today? How many people do you know are glad to let Jesus be their king and their love and their Lord? Nah, in this world today, that's not very popular. And it wasn't popular with the official state of Israel at the time. Remember in John chapter 1, as John would write later, he came into his own and his own, they rejected him. They said, we're not going to let you rule over us. This, this is not the way it rolls with us. And so, as a general group, they said, no, we won't accept him. But he gave a responsibility to ten of his servants, each of them with one pound, one amount of money, the same amount for all ten of them. And then he comes back after he's been empowered and been away, he comes back. And when he comes back, he addresses his servants. And he will later address those who reject him. Every Christ hater will have a confrontation with Jesus. The Bible tells us every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he's going to meet with everyone who rejected him, but he wants to meet first with his servants. And in this story, I'm one of those servants. And so are you, if you're saved. And you've not been given more than I've been given, and I've not been given more than you. Because I think the pound represents gospel responsibility. 
It, it represents your role while we wait for our king to come back from heaven to get the gospel. Remember, he just said, the Son of Man has come to do what? In context, he's talking about getting people the gospel of Christ. And if you're saved this morning, you've been given that response. You've been given a pound. I don't care if you're old or young. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. I don't care if you got saved last week or you've been saved for 60 years. Every one of us have been given a pound. And Jesus is coming back. When he comes back, he's been empowered to be the king. The first time he came, he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. The first time he came, he came as a baby. One of the most vulnerable things in our society is a baby. And that's why everybody wants to kill babies. It's satanic to want to kill a baby. In the womb, out of the womb, a baby is the most vulnerable thing in America today. You are safer to go into a, a crime-ridden neighborhood in Chicago than you are to be a baby in, in a mother's womb in the United States of America. More of the babies are killed than anyone's killed out in the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning in Inglewood. But, but that's a satanic ploy. Kill the babies. Watch it. Pharaoh killed the babies. Herod wanted to kill babies. Their representation of Satan in our society, that's what it is, and God hates it. But here we have a responsibility here. A responsibility is given, given to us to, to decide what we're going to do. And when he comes back, he's not going to come back as a baby. He's not going to come back as the Lamb of God to take away the sin. He's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back with the King of kings and Lord of lords across his, his chest. And he, is, he does not have anyone who's going to give him any battles that's going to be of any significance. He'll destroy them with the word of his mouth. That's, that's in the future tense. But while he's coming back, you and I have a responsibility. He's been given, he's given us something. And now we have a snapshot into future events of how he's going to meet with those of us who have, he's been given the gospel opportunities. Let's look and see what the Bible says. Can we look at it? If we look, if we please, uh, Luke chapter 19 and verse number, um, verse number, where was I? Verse 16. And the first he said, saying, Lord hath pound gained ten pounds. Let's go back to 15, I'm sorry. And it came to pass as he went in return, having received his kingdom, he commanded these servants to be called unto him, that he might given, they have given money, that they might know how much every man should gain by trading. I'm sorry, I repeated that one. Verse 16. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained how many? Ten pounds. He said, Lord, I've taken while you were gone. I have, I have taken the gospel, and I have multiplied it. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in the little, very little, then thou have authority over ten cities. I'm going to reward you in the millennium and potentially in all eternity. And the second came and said, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise unto him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. And I feared thee. Why do you fear him? Because thou art an asture or a cruel or an unjust or a shrewd man. Thou takest up while thou layest not down, and reapest thou that that thou didst not sow. And he said unto them, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. 
Thou what? Wicked servant. Thou knewest that, thy, that I was an austere man, shrewd and mean and cruel, taking up what I have not laid down and reaping what I did not sow. Wherefore then givest, gavest thou not my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto him that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he already has ten pounds. He hath ten pounds already. And I say unto you that to every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. And then, of course, he greets those who, and deals with those enemies who rejected him. So, the Bible kind of gives us an insight here. First of all, you got an appointment with God. I do and you do. And we've been given the same opportunity, and that is to share the gospel with a world that needs to hear about it. And here he says he's going to have a meeting with you, just like he had a meeting with them. Tell me how it went. What did you do with the gospel I gave you and the responsibility to get the gospel out? And one fellow said, Lord, I've taken the pound, and I've worked it, I've occupied, I've, I've done your king's business, and now this is, these are people that have come to know the Lord through your gospel. Great. Well done. You know, I'm going to make you ruler over. They say, Pastor, I don't care about being a ruler over anything. You don't understand God. You don't understand eternity. Eternity is an awful long time. And the devil would love nothing more than get you and I so occupied with having enough stuff now. Getting all we can get, canning all we can can, and telling how, many, how much all we got in our can. That's what the devil wants us to do. That's what, that's what the world wants you to do. That's what you and I want to do. I also make sure I have enough, man. I'll tell you what, I don't know how, when, when I want to go. You're getting ready to see Jesus. And he's going to ask you, what did you do with the gospel? One fellow said, he said, you know, he said, okay, Lord, I, I got five pounds. You give me a pound, I got five pounds. You know, the Lord didn't say, what? You're not like him? No, he just said, well done, good. Five cities. Then one guy says, you know what? Here's your pound. I wrapped it up, and it's just like you gave it to me. Here. He said, what? You didn't do anything with that? He said, well, I knew how you were. You're a very shrewd God. And you try to get something out of someone who doesn't have anything, and you want to you get a harvest where you don't plan anything. I knew how you were so. I just want to make sure you got it back just like you gave it to me. And you know, the guy wasn't happy. Matter of fact, he got furious. He said, take that away from him and give it to the guy who's got 10. He said, I'm going to let your own words judge you. You know, it's interesting. And every person that's listening to me in this room, my own ears listening to me, the people on the internet, those on the radio... We all have been given a responsibility to get the gospel out. But you know what really determines where we're going to be in that, in, in, that, uh, in that responsibility? is our opinion of God. You know why that guy kept it and wrapped it and just gave it back to him like he got it? Because he did not have a good opinion of the one who gave him the responsibility. What kind of opinion of God do you have? 
No, he said, look, bud, why didn't you just at least take the pound, the silver I gave you, the money, and put it in the bank and give me a little interest? I personally think that might be compared to just giving of your finances so people can get the gospel. Now, I believe in giving of my finances. This morning, Linda and I sat down and we gave. Uh, I believe very generously what God has given to us. And I'm glad to do that. But you know the cheapest thing you can do to get people the gospel is give to it? We're collecting our last week of collecting. We'll collect money further, but we need the money by Thursday to sign and purchase the building. And many of you have come prepared today. I've heard so many stories of people who have had one little family said, Pastor, when you announced this, we didn't have a single dime to give. But my kids did a lemonade stand. My wife got a sewing job, and she got $250. I did two extra side jobs. And last week, we gave $830 gladly to that project. We want in on it. It's a wonderful testimony. Some have given more generously because you had it to give, and others of you, it was still a sacrifice for everybody. Everybody will do something. But the truth of the matter is, giving is one thing. Getting involved in praying and helping and witnessing and developing other people, that's a total different category. It's working the money. It's working the gift. And it all depends on how you and I feel about God. If you think God's ripped you off, you're going to be a lousy soul winner. If you feel like your life is so miserable, nothing ever good happens to you, you're probably not bringing too many people to Christ. But if you have a good opinion of God, you'll talk about Him. We talk about things we love. That's why sometimes we don't talk about the Lord. He said, look, you need to have a good opinion of God. He said, at least... If you say, you know, I don't really have a good opinion of God, well, at least give to missions so at least something you gave will get people saved. Don't just sit on it, on your life and your responsibility. But all of us ought to get involved. Most everybody in this room can reach into your purse or your pocket and say, sir, could you, could you read that? At least get involved with that. But, you know, you're not going to do that if you have a lousy opinion of God. All of us ought to do something to pray and earnestly care about our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones. Because the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You're here today, still breathing air on this planet, because there are many people that are lost and they need Jesus. Let's get involved with it. Let's pray together. Can we please?